We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the half of wisdom, it was the half of foolishness. It was the epoch of comedy defending. It was the epoch of great goal scoring. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It is the Arsenal. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy Merry Boxing Day, St. Stephen's Day, uh, Festivus. Um, whatever you're celebrating, if you are not celebrating, maybe you're just celebrating uniting, ha- having to claw back a draw against Burnley, which just happened prior to recording this. But whatever it is, I hope you're having a lovely time. And in the miracle of Christmas, really, there's no Arsenal on Boxing Day to ruin your holiday. So there's that. What we do have to ruin your holiday is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posting My Pants. Hello, Paul. Wow. Wow. What and an Clive intro. is here. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for you to interrupt me. Hello, right. hello. How tooled up are you, Clive? I mean, are you really drunk, or I mean, are we just starting? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm two or three in, but two I wanted the podcast a bit early because <laughs> if you get me in two hours' time, there'll be zero cents coming out well, of me. We I will be the arbiter of whether that would have made a difference. Uh, let's dive right into it. So, look, it was three three. Uh, it could have been terribly worse. It could have been hilariously better. It's kind of hard to know what to make of it, other than the fact that. There are clearly some major problems with us. Um, I thought the first half was the worst half of football we've played all season and maybe uh, in a long time, and I include the half uh, or the game at Anfield. But let's start with the the big decisions, Paul, and and the decision to stick with the back four, the decision to stick with Maitland-Niles, the way he set it up. I mean, I wasn't sure if I had any problems with it. What did you think? Uh, Like before? 
yeah, looking at the lineup. Do you remember the lineup? <laughs> do you remember the game? I, <laughs> I do. Memory. I mean, he kind of signaled it. I remember tweeting, wow, and then saying something about, though, we kind of saw most of this coming. Um, it, it, it was a wow just because we hadn't really seen this. So Maitland-Niles, I mean, that was that was a big, big move, even though we kind of saw it coming. Someone's making and an annoying rustling noise with their microphone. Knock it off. Keep going. Could be me. Yeah, oh, yep, it's oh. you. I hear it. All right. What are you doing? Sorry, but ha- how am I doing now? You're doing great. Okay, let's hear All it. All right. Um, so, I mean, I think that was the big, the big decision, and that kind of uh, matched with going with the back four to give the lads some kind of a chance. Um. And we'd seen a bit of back fourness recently, even in the, if you want to call it the B team. So I guess we saw this coming and the four, you know, your sub, uh, subtraction by addition, addition by, by subtraction, subtraction. Mm-hmm. and no Giroud available. So that kind of settled the front and then Ramsey not available in midfield was going to be Chaka, uh, Wilshire. So... Uh, I don't really know what all the fuss was about. Well, so, I, I think uh, there's certainly a question of, I mean, you don't restore Mustafi to center back. You, you know, you stick with Nacho Monreal there. You move Ainsley Maitland-Niles out to full back in, in a big, big game. I mean, and we can get on yeah. to his performance in a minute. But, Clive, I mean, I think what interests me is is the process, the manager's process. Because, yep. you know, middle of last season, he switches to a back three. Pretty much out of panic in a run of arguably the worst form in his career. and Or his Arsenal career, anyway. Not really sure how he did it. Uh, Grampus, what, Nagoya, Grampus, or my, my grandpa's eight, whatever it is. Anyway, um, so, you know, he, he makes a switch, and he sticks with it through the summer, and he reinforces, you know, by buying a, a true wing back in Kolasinac, uh, you know, made the Bundesliga team of the year in that yeah. position, and and he sticks with it through this season, and he sticks with it through the Europa League, despite the fact that maybe it didn't fit the personnel, and it seemed that the first team plays a back three, and then... He switches to a back four in the middle of the United game, and we look really bright in sort of devastatingly attacking them, although not clawing back the result, and suddenly we're a back four again. I mean, I I guess my question to you is, what do you think the process is? What do you think the decision-making process was based on in switching to a back four? Is it the absence of Ramsey? Is it that the manager always wanted to go back to this? I could just start providing you the answers, or maybe I could just let you answer the question. Um which is probably the more professional thing to do. So uh, what do you think the process is, and, and what do you make the decision to switch to a back four now? Well, firstly, I, I, I don't agree with the back four. Uh, I don't think um, our players look as comfortable in a back four as they used to do any longer. But there seemed to be a sway of opinion to go to a back four because I think primarily because of our midfield personnel potentially because of Ramsey and potentially because of Mustafi coming out. I, I personally, I look at the players that we have, I look at their ages, I look at their comfort. And I think that certain players have looked more comfortable in the back three than they have done in the back four for quite a while. And we've just forgotten. So we try, we, we yearn for the good old days, right? So, and we've forgotten that Koscielny and Mustafi uh, probably haven't played in the back four together for, I, I can't remember when, probably early part of the year. Um, we've forgotten that Monreal isn't really a centre-half. And so you put him in the two, you get what you get. And we've forgotten that our full-backs have more work to do to get under the line of the centre midfielders and then to overload higher up. It makes them very vulnerable in the spaces behind. Against what I think is quite a quick team in wide areas in Liverpool. 
So I, I'm not comfortable with the back four because I don't think we get as many comfortable players on the pitch in a back four as we do in a in a back three. But basically, formations are really covering up the the lack of balance in the team. And I was thinking about this over the, over the weekend. And just look at our team, right? So you've got you got Czech. You say he's too old. You got Bellerin. Half the crowd are waiting to kill because half of them hate him. Half of them want him to succeed. Monreal, he's not really a centre back playing centre back. Koscielny, is he fit enough to play in a two where he's got more spaces to cover? Maitland-Niles, we all know he's a centre midfielder. We put him on his wrong foot because he can run and one-on-one he's excellent, but really he's a centre midfielder and he gets attracted. And then you look at our centre midfield and you look at, basically, we have three number 10s playing in there. Shaka wears number 10 for his country. Ozil wears number 10 for his country. And Jack wears number 10 for Arsenal. And then we expect but, him but to... But to be fair, yeah. if you put that together, you have a number 30. So yeah. what do you think we get from our number 30? Yeah. Well, for our number 30, we get what we got. We get people, we got Jack and, and Shaka having a personality match-off to see who can play in front of the other and stay there, not get back. And then you got Ozil trying his best to adjust to what the other two are trying to do. And really, we've got the wrong balance in there. And I don't want to mention his name so soon in the podcast, but I find myself yearning for Cockerland because at least he... <laughs> At least I suspected that you yearn for the cock, and you know what? I yeah, mean, it's I all yearn good. for him. It's all good. I yearn for him because we know what he is. We know what he is, and he knows what he isn't. More At importantly, least there's one player who doesn't think he's a ten. Didn't Chaka say he was a false ten recently? Exactly. Oh, he's a I false mean, something. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I'm sure we'll get into Chaka. If we're not going to get into Chaka, I will do it no, now. No, no, no. Um, no. We're going to do that next. You, you go. Okay. On. Okay, and I'm just looking at this, and, we, and when we let's let's be serious, guys. We we all love the team, but I'm, I'm I'm let's talk about the balance there from that for those players I've just mentioned. How do we expect to succeed with that many people playing out of position or asked to do different jobs in the position that they're in against a top top level team with the league's top score in their team with speed of plenty with a front four that's unbelievable, and we sit there and we expect them to succeed. I tell you, that first half was one of the most painful experiences of my Arsenal watching life. It's the worst I've seen. And, um, it was terrible. And look, I mean, Paul, I, here's the thing I don't get. Look, Spurs and Liverpool are not the same. But at least in terms of what they want to do and the, the areas they want to make you uncomfortable and the pressure they want to put on you, there are similarities. And we had a game plan for Spurs that seemed to make sense. We totally went away from it for Liverpool. Fine. But we couldn't keep the ball. And the one thing you know you cannot do against Liverpool is turn the ball over. You just cannot turn the ball over in your half. You cannot be sloppy with your passing, and that's really what we were doing. I, I guess my question to you is, what was the plan in that first half against Liverpool, if you could see one, and where where were the breakdowns? So, I mean, I don't really know what the plan was beyond the obvious, what we've seen before. I mean, we've we've faced Klopp's teams in the past. We've placed, uh, faced Dortmund with a similar lineup, different personnel, maybe with Arteta and Ramsey in the midfield. And you could say the plan was to ride out the storm for 50, 60 minutes, stay in the game, be 1-1 or 1-0 down. And then as they tire, which in fact they did, we come into it and we, we get the next goal or we get the next two goals. But they could have been 3-4 up by halftime they should have been at least 
you would say two, three up by halftime, which would have really put the, should really have put them past us. We didn't know there was going to be that five minutes, but it should really have put them past us. I thought it was interesting sometime in the week leading up to it, Wenger talking about formations and he talked about playing a three or a five at the back or a four. And it just kind of struck me the, the four, the, the five at the back, which to me, I guess I just lumped that with the three, but even in Wenger's mind, there are different ways of playing the three. And to me, the five, a more defensive lineup and kind of digging in, okay, it doesn't suit our ego and playing at our stadium, but it might've been the practical choice to ride the storm out a little better because, you know, it, it didn't take much of a crystal ball to see we were going to be stretched here. Um, and the, the Spurs model, um, we didn't have Mustafi, who's a good distributor, so it, it might be arguable who was going to put in those diagonals across to Chaka as we did well, against we, Spurs. We could have had him. I mean, presumably. Maybe we he could didn't have. feel he was fully ready, but we could have had him. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we'll never quite know kind of how touch and go it was, but you could see why maybe he he, he maybe thought um, – uh, Mustafi wasn't quite ready, so you know maybe w- give a little concession there. But but maybe it was worth that that play that chance. But it seems like the pendulum has swung now, and he's back to he he. I mean, he always made it clear he wasn't a back three guy in terms of in terms of Wenger's philosophy. He's a back four guy. He wants a more attacking team. That's who he is. These are two very attacking managers. Um, but sometimes you you just got to accept that 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 Liverpool onslaught for the first thirty, forty, fifty minutes is you're just going to have to live with it. I, I guess, um, but like you don't have to play into it, right? I mean, this is yeah, the yeah. problem. It exonerates. Yeah, yeah. Look, if you want to exonerate the manager, which we can debate on, you know, the the approach and the lineup and the formation then you have to be critical of the players who could not execute the simple, who could not... I mean, surely they will have known that you have to have ball security against Liverpool, especially in your own half. And none of them did. And yeah. I mean, Shaka and Awobi yeah. were shocking. Um, and I guess, Clive, yeah, you know, for me, that first goal that we gave up to Liverpool was really hard to watch because watching yeah. Shaka and Jack try to run with Coutinho, I mean... Good God, it was depressing. Um, It was like they were dragging weights behind them. And you just can't have that little range and mobility in central midfield and expect to compete, you know, especially against a team that you know is is going to be harassing you like that. And and it just exposed the weakness that we've been talking about all season. And I wonder a little bit, I mean... Is Shaka a terrible buy? Now, let me let me emphasize something. I'm not saying he's a terrible player. He's clearly not a terrible player. But was he a terrible buy? And what I mean by that is it seems pretty clear at this point that the manager is unsure of how to use him, unsure of who to pair him with. I mean, he's looked nominally effective with Ramsey, but I don't think we would say he was excelling. The manager first came out and said he was a box-to-box midfielder, which is like, I don't know how you could look at that guy and, and have even the slightest in, inkling that that's what he is. I mean, is Shaka struggling because he has been put into a position that is just not suited for him with the with the people that are surrounding him? Yep, yeah, uh, he's struggling for a number of reasons, in my opinion. And um, I, I went to the game on Friday, and I was to say to Paul offline, 
it, it really does. I go. I thought go to games once a month, and when I go, it's almost like seeing a, a a long lost relative you haven't seen for a while, and they've grown and they've changed. And when you go that infrequently, you can really see clearly and feel clearly what's changed since the last time. And um, and all this chat about Shaka online, I've stayed really quiet because I like the player. I generally like the player. I like what he can be. I, I really was interested to see him play for Switzerland and see how he was used there. And I thought, okay, what you really are, you are a pivot in the two. But what we ask you to do, we ask you to play deep in the two, but your partner's really ahead of you. So when he plays for other clubs, he basically has somebody next to him and they pivot. And that's why I've always felt that in a 4-2-3-1, his best partner was somebody quite similar to him. And his best partner for me is is um, El Nenny, funny enough. Someone who just does a similar job, but just on the other side of the pitch, in a, in a pivot. And when we bought him, that's what we were playing, that system. And then we changed and went to the back to the back three. And then the, the philosophy of pushing on, which, you know, which I agree with, has exposed him. But what really disappointed me about his game on uh, Friday night was the positions that he took up. Mm-hmm. It's quite obvious that Jack is a... Centre midfielder, probably a bit more attacking than Shaka, a bit, you know, a bit less physical presence, quite good in tight areas. And I think he's got more layers of passing, cuter passing, he can stop the ball in a diamond in shorter spaces. But Shaka decided, well, I'm going to push on. I'm going to play the Ramsey role. I'm going to be the one. And he pushed on sometimes to the left wing. And I mean, I, I was just, I was in despair. I mean, the quickest transition team in the league, and we, we've just got our centre midfield completely open. Just with Jack in the middle trying to track. And um, I don't know if you count, I'm sure you guys saw it, but how many times did you see Jack and Shaka running back almost side by side? Well, that, for, their first go- for their first goal, that was it. And exactly. to call it a race is a disrespect to people that run races. <laughs> exactly. Well said. But basically, as soon as you see that, we've got a problem. That means they're doing the same things. They're making the same run. They're covering the same spaces. They were literally two yards apart. And that happened on more than one occasion. It, Elliot, I'm telling you, it was almost like, who's going to be this, have the strongest ego so I can play closer to the opposition goal so I won't be embarrassed in open spaces when Liverpool run through us? And what really stood out for me was Shaka's lack of positional responsibility, his lack of team play, and he was getting absolutely killed by the crowd. Well, it isn't that vi- why you put vicious. like a Maitland Niles next to Shaka who has those recovery runs? I mean, <clears throat> at this point, he needs someone next to him who's got does. speed to, to waste, who can make those recovery runs. I mean, the Coutinho is not a fast player, and he, I mean, he ran by them like they were running in treacle. It was terrible. I mean, I just think <clears throat> at this point, and I'll just give you one more sentence on this really, Clive. Do we have yep. to acknowledge that maybe Shaka was the wrong buy for, for the squad we had? Potent- not for what we had, but now Jack has appeared. You're looking at Jack, you're thinking, hold on a minute here. He can play to similar passes. Mm. He's, he's got more ability on the football. He can actually get a couple of tackles in. He can get back into his box. Four okay, dribbles. He can he he can pair up with Meza Ozil. He's more agile. Okay, he's only a step quicker. Maybe maybe not even sure if he is a bit quicker, but he seems to understand the position really well. So you look at the two players thinking, okay, we neither of them can really hold our midfield, but now you're looking at their attributes, and I'm thinking, hold on a minute here, which one is better? And on the day, there was no contest. But but I'll say this: None at the time that Shaka was bought, I guess the the exculpatory evidence is that at the time Shaka was bought, 
there was no suggestion Jack was ever coming back or could be trusted exactly. to come back. And I, I still think it's an open question whether Jack is the way forward. I think what is clear Agreed. is that Shaka is not the way forward unless we find the right system and and formation and partner for him. And look, if you want to build your squad around Mesut Ozil and his unique talents or Alexis Sanchez and his unique talents, I, that's one thing. Building your squad around the talents and limitations of Granite Shaka is a totally different discussion. But I, I want to get off Shaka and get on another player who I want to kill for a minute, and that's Iwobi. Um, oh. Paul, I, look, Alex Iwobi is starting to remind me of Oxlade Chamberlain. Um, in fact, they both have the same name. Isn't that weird? Um, yeah. You know, and what I mean by that is they're eye-catching when they're on the ball, right? Um, maybe in slightly different ways, but Awobi has good touch, good control, you know, has has the ability to get out of tight spaces, and yet he is asleep on the pitch. He, he is someone who um, switches off, who is positionally totally... Uh, unprepared for the job he has to do he is someone who all too often gets the final ball wrong and i just this was a game for him to keep it simple keep it ticking over you know be that that sort of metronomic player that that could help keep the ball out of harm's way for on he was incapable of doing that when he was off the ball he was totally inert um did you see it the same way with Wobie? look i think that's terribly harsh on a Wobie. apart from in this game um, oh, okay. I, think I, would, I see what you mean. Okay, but but yeah. but so then he let's do this. Instead shite. of making grandiose statements, he he's a player that's losing my support. You may have noticed, but in this game, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, in this game he was shite. I don't really know why. I mean, he was. Um, uh, I I guess he spent a lot of time over on the the Bellerin wing, but there's no great reason why he was that shite. I mean, you you can. You can say his options were cut down, blah, blah, blah. But so many times, uh, his own frustration with himself. There was a moment uh, in the first half, Paul, where yeah. um, uh, who's on the left? Sa- uh, Sané is, has the ball on the left with Bellerin checking him. And someone comes over to make it two. It, it might have been Firmino um, or Coutinho is one of them. And like Bellerin's looking at these Inio. two players. Yeah, and and... He's looking. He's looking for Iwobi. Like, can you please come help me out? And Iwobi's like walking into the frame while Bellerin's trying to manage this two-on-one situation. I, I mean, that yeah. kind of stuff is just basic effort. Yeah, this seems for whatever ra- reason, this seemed a game above Iwobi's level. Now, uh, the the last game uh, we played, who who we play last? Uh, b- before Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe West you don't Ham. remember. It's clearly no. Yeah, that, yeah, well, that, was, that was that was that was um, in the cup. That was in yeah. The cup. I, I, Did we also? Yeah, no, th- we we played someone in the league that we beat. We beat someone in the league. Uh, Newcastle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I thought it was poor <laughs> against Newcastle. I watch. I watched it again. Actually, he had he had quite a bit to do with what we did that was good. Uh, but but if you just kind of get, ask me a knee jerk reaction, I definitely think he's been off the pace recently. But I think he was decent against Newcastle when you go back and look at it. In this game, uh, I don't. I think I'd have to watch it maybe a fourth time to decide he was good. He looked afraid, Paul. He looked afraid, yeah. mate. No, it, afraid. it was a game beyond him. But, but I, w- I did mention the Bellerin thing. Um, uh, I'm sure we'll get around to the positives at some stage. But it's funny yeah. how you look at a player like Bellerin and you just get used to him. Like We'll talk about Maitland-Niles and we probably say that in large part he had a really good game. But you go back, 
and you you take Bellerin for granted and you take him as kind of it's all got a bit vanilla. He actually had a really good game. I thought he was I thought he was one of our our few bright spots, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's and funny. And the stats isn't bear it? that out by the way. We're not yeah. going to get a Scott section because just there's a lot of behind the scenes challenges to the recording that we're doing today uh with the holidays and all, but I mean um, you know, I, I looked at the PPVA and XG chain and all that stuff, and as usual, Bellerin was right near the top there. Yeah, and I, I don't think uh, Mane had the best game. I think he's a little off his form, but you know, uh, that wing was the more controlled of the two. And as we go as we go through our defenders, to me, there's uh, and our midfield defensively, there were two players who I think had big games that either didn't get the credit or got ripped unfairly and i think that's check and bellerin and uh, so a little props to bellerin while we're going through all our shortcomings i actually think to to actually have put in a solid game in the middle of all of that um is a testament to his maturing yeah and and you know look it's funny because the players that wind up getting killed in games like this are the defenders and you see people saying yeah. well, maybe it's over for Koscielny and I have a lot of sympathy for Koscielny there was that play where he slipped and they were in and they had a two on one yeah. and and check bailed us out but like the reason he slipped is he was having to cover the space that both players were running into. Liverpool had two players running into acres of space and Koscielny was like trying to cut the angle off to try to block both runs and too often we have we have our defenders being asked to cover spaces and situations that a single defender can't cover, and then they get killed when they don't do it right. For that, um, yeah. for the for their first goal, everyone said, "Oh, Koscielny, yeah. you know, uh, he he should have closed down. He gave him too much." I'm sorry. You put any center back up against Mohamed Salah and say, "Get tight to him, get touch tight to him." They're going to get beat off the dribble. That's not a situation yeah. your center back should find himself in. Touch tight to a dribbly quick winger inside the box. I think he played it the way he had to. He tried to cut off the angle. He tried to stay in front of him, wait for help to arrive. The help, which was Jack and Shaka, didn't arrive because they were you know, on their tricycle trying to get back there. <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's just the players that wind up getting killed are the ones who are being put in untenable situations. And the players who, who are hiding, like Shaka and Awobi, and you know, I mean, to some extent, even Jack, they get off the hook. And I want to get your take on uh, Awobi, Clive, because I, you said you have a stadium story. I'm curious to hear it. I also think we should get to the second half where things turned around quite a bit and talk about Maitland-Niles Day as well. But but what what did you make of Awobi? Uh, well, he, he looked as appalled now, dear. The game was too big for him. right? So uh, if, if I'm watching the game of Arsenal football and I'm yearning for Theo Walcott and Francis Coquelin, I'm wondering what the question is, right? What the issue is, because because... That is exactly what was required in this game, right? A proper, you know, Maitland Niles did really well. Let's be honest, we need a proper left back in there, right? So, and if we're going to play somebody right, we need to threaten their right hand side. They had a guy called Robertson playing left back, absolutely awful. And Cockland just for balance, right? So we didn't threaten them. Awobi looked scared. He's the problem is he's not. He's a player that's out of form. Guess what? It's going to happen to him again. It's going to happen to all the other players on that pitch. It's how you're managed. Don't we? Wenger has a tendency to play some players through form, bad form, and just kill some players immediately the moment they have a bad game. He's playing Wobi through bad form. He did it last year as well. He hasn't worked out the ability when to take him out. I, w- I wouldn't mind it in seeing him come on for the last 20 minutes as 
for some security on the ball. But this was not a game for him to start. It had to be a game where you set a tone, be much more aggressive, and run them backwards. Alexis doesn't want to run in behind any, very much anymore. Lacazette does, but no one passes in the ball. And so we need that other player to run in the behind. And the Wope is not it. And because he's not it, the crowd are turning on him. I mean, Elliot and, and Paul, I've got to tell you something. That stadium, when it went 2 0, was going bad. And when I mean bad, I mean hatred. At half time, I sort of walked over and I knew where Tim was sitting. I was about, maybe about 10 seats up to the left on me. So I walked over to him and we had a chat. And I said to him, Mate, what do you think? And he said, That's the worst half of football I've ever seen. I, I totally the first agree. Half. I totally agree. And the reasons why, there were players walking around the pitch. Alexis walking, Awobi walking. I, I called Ka- I mean uh, Shaka a coward on Twitter, and I got killed for it a little bit. But like, the you're reason abs- I called him a coward right. is because when we went down, he just hid. He totally hid from the game. He hid. So what he did, he ran into areas where it wasn't poss- possible for him to recover back into. So I'm going to push in here. I'm going to push you in there right back. Oh, well, I can't get back. It's not my fault. Who's going to cover me? I mean, it was like that. A coward's performance. You couldn't put it, could not put it any better. And I'm looking at this thinking, oh, my God, we are broken. I actually said to Tim, what are we going to do in the podcast? We're broken. This is really bad. I have never (laughs) seen something. You can ask him. I don't mind saying it. I could not see. It's only one nil, Paul. It's half time. It's one nil. Uh I said, this is bad. We are completely broken as a club. Four or five players are not trying. They're not. They're walking around. They don't care about tactics. They don't care about what they've been told. And I'm and looking at this. ruined our podcast. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, there are four or five that really do care, like Koscielny, but they can't cover the gaps. And they are breaking in front of our eyes. Monreal then broke. And I'm looking at this thinking, we're in trouble. And I suppose that's the beauty of football. You never know what's around the corner. Because I have ne- I don't I can't remember being as low as that since two thousand and four Champions League quarter final when when Wayne Bridge scored that goal for Chelsea. That was my lowest moment for watching Arsenal. And I and this is this is lower probably my Bar- second lowest. Lower than Paris? <laughs> yeah, I was in I was in Paris and but again that was maybe that was a, one of the lowest <laughs> I was in Paris, but this was bad because in Paris we we tried, we were unlucky, we tried, we were together, we reached a pinnacle, we didn't make it, but this was broken. This was uh, a have, broken. I have club. to agree. At the end of that first half, I was so low. You, you know the only the only thing I will say, you guys, is it's funny, and I tweeted this. I'm not a, a Pollyanna or one for a bright side, as you know, but. The thing about Liverpool is, you know, they don't concede a lot of chances, but as we know statistically, the chances they concede are really, really, really high-quality chances. And so the only bright side for silver lining for me was we're only 1-0, and they're going to give us two or three chances, and they're going to be really presentable chances, so there's a chance. Now, realistically, had we kept playing the same way, we should have lost by four, five, six, seven, name the number. And, you know, quick mention for Petr Cech, who gets killed, but, like, I don't understand why Cech doesn't get more credit, because this season... Sure, he's had some 50-50 situations where he hasn't been brilliant. He saved our ass, too, and he did save our he ass did. in this game. And, you know, we expect – look, he's not David De Gea, fine, but he is a good, reliable keeper who has kept us in some games, which is more than we could say of what we've had for a long, long time. But yeah. uh, And, hey, David De, De Gea uh, conceded a pretty stupid goal by staying on his goal line in basically the same fixture – 
Yeah, no. Uh, on the same day, the yeah. following day. Yeah, no, so, that's true. I, the only yep. thing I'll say about De Gea is he, his tactic is to stay on his line, and more often than not, you see the result works for him. So, you know, his process is his process. But anyway, look. Okay, but, okay, but the only thing I'll say is Czech got caught because he came off his line for the for the third goal where he puts up the big hand, and he still almost saved it. So, you know, it is horses for courses. Yep, yep. And, yep. and Czech gets slaughtered because... He's like right on the guy. It's a hard shot. It's a quick reaction, but he still almost gets it. We wouldn't have been in the game at that point if if it hadn't been for him. So I think it's a little bit, um, you know, uh, crazy to 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 go overboard on him. But well, so let's do this. Can I just just clarify quickly just what I mean by broken? I mean, it's only one nil. well, you may think I'm being overdramatic about. I, I don't. How I think I it's, I said it's the worst half of football I can remember. And by the way, I uh, think it was worse than the the reverse fixture. Yeah, yeah Elliot, I th- I, Elliot thinks you're being under dramatic. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, the reason why when I talk, we all love our club, right? All of watching, all of watching the team, and part of it is a is a unity factor, unity between the fans, the players, between the players, and that's what I mean by broken. There was no unity from the fans to the players. I mean, there was hatred coming down on them. There was no unity amongst the players, and they were quitting on each other, and that for me. Forget if it was 1-0, it could have been 10-0 for me. It didn't matter. To see that, it could have been nil-nil. And I would still felt the same. Because to hear and see what I saw, it, it generally shocked me. And that's in the land of Twitter where we see all the reactions and the extremities. It generally shocked me to see the disunity. And I I, I thought, we're in big trouble here. And, um, and Tim agreed with me at the time. Well, look, all right. So at the end of the day, I mean, they, they get the 2-0 lead. It's looking pretty bleak. And... Amazingly, you know, we start playing in the areas we need to be playing and stop playing in the areas we don't want to be playing. And maybe Liverpool made the mistake of taking their foot off the press pedal just enough that we were able to get out. Um, And when we stopped shooting ourselves in the foot, you know, which has been the story the whole season. Let's not say this was the first game like this. Everything that's gone wrong for us this season has in some senses been self-inflicted. We've been giving the ball away, and that was the story in this game as well. But there's that five-minute period where we get three goals, and we get it you know, through the players you kind of expect, right? Alexis, Lacazette to Ozil. Um, I mean, the, the player, and then not so much with Shaka. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, it, it's some good football. I, I worry with the Shaka goal only because it's good outcome from bad process, and he needs to stop shooting from that distance. Um, I don't think that's the way forward for us, but credit to him. He gets the goal, and, and unfortunately, the one thing I will say is I, I think the fact that he gets that goal kind of transformed the discussion around him after the game where it kind of seemed like unfair to criticize him despite the fact that I thought he had a terrible game um but Paul so in the period where we we wind up getting the goals you saw the fight you saw the energy you saw you saw the enthusiasm the thing I think is interesting is it was sort of a bad five minutes for narrative right because you have Alexis who everyone's saying isn't trying like scoring from an exceptional effort and diving header to get in ahead of the defender and score you have Lacazette Nozel, who had kind of been out of the game, linking up brilliantly for you know that sensational hit into the ground finish that Ozil has now uh, create turned into a thing. I don't even know how he does that. And then Shaka, who had been terrible, scoring from range. I mean, to you, what changed in the pattern of play that allowed us to to get that foothold? Uh, I think there's a few things. I think uh, the inevitability that Liverpool, having got their second goal and having kind of uh, burned it pretty hard. We're going to relax a little bit, tire just that little bit to allow our 
quick passing and quick moving to start finding some gaps. Um, I don't think we should, for for all the implied criticism of the manager, I don't think we should forget that he's very good at halftime speeches by all account. Um, and Bellerin spoke up about that, basically saying yep. he uh, rallied the troops. Um, Henry V kind of speech, once more onto the breach, dear friends, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think those three factors, that I think... I think Liverpool took a little breather. I think they thought they had this thing wrapped up and they'd bang in a few more. And we, I mean, but the major factor in all of that uh, was Ozil. I think, um, I mean, uh, I've been very critical of him just a couple of months ago. I'd kind of had my fill of him. He's been fucking sensational. Absolutely sensational. And a leader, you know, Tim talked about the technical leader. I think he's even been more than that. I think his, he, you can, for all that talk about you can't, you shouldn't judge Ozil by his body language. It's, it's strange. You can judge him by his body language now because it's really strong, really powerful. So uh, in a way, I've never bought that. You don't judge a player by his body language. You absolutely do. You can see Ozil. You can see where he's at. You can see that uh, he's pushing this team on when his shoulders are back. He's looking up. He just has a different aura about him, a different energy about him, even when it's not going well. And it wasn't going well, as we all know. And you, you can look at him. He's, his head's up. He's looking around. He's engaged. He's finding solutions. The Lacazette backheel, that's his second time he did that in the game. He did the first one to Ozil in the first half. Ozil was through right on, on goal, right on Mignolet. Um, so, you know, there's lots of great li- little interplay there. Uh, Bellerin going up the wing puts the... He had had a few uh, one-twos and crosses into the box. So pressure was building. We were doing the right things. But it was certainly a period, uh, a blistering period of five, six, seven minutes where the energy swing was there. Yeah, um, why, yeah. But, but you know, you know, Paul. I mean, to me, it's like it seems so obvious to say it, but we just started playing in the right areas. I mean, Clive, Clive is that is that is it really that simple? And maybe you know, the point to Paul that they gave us just a little bit of a of a, a way out of the pressure cooker in our own half. Yeah. And once we were able to do that, we saw where their weaknesses. I mean, th- that's not a good midfield. It's not a good defense. If you can get past the press, you can you can play them. Yeah, they're awful at the back. And um, uh, all we did in the second half was we played a little bit quicker like we always do, um, a bit more intensity. And and then we conceded the second goal. And, and I thought, okay, here we go. This is going to get bad. This is really going to get bad. But this is what I, I always look for, you know, my judge players. I look what they do in adversity. And I look what, if they can feel the game. They can do what the game requires. And this is why I never criticise Bellerin at all. Because turn all down, the easiest thing to do is stand in at right back. And just basically don't do anything. I'm going to hold my sides. We're two nil down. I'm not going to get embarrassed. But he pushes on, pushes on, pushes on, crosses the ball in, and and we get the first goal. Bit of momentum. Again, Shaka gets the ball. He tries to head it back pass in the middle of midfield, and it gets cut out. We get it back. And at that time, you can actually see on TV people coming out of their seats to admonish him, literally walking down steps to give him some stick on on the side where we are, on where I was sitting. And basically, 
he gets the ball in the middle of the field, it pops up and he smashes it in. And he's, his celebration was really aggressive. And, and suddenly the momentum's there. And for five minutes, we are perfection. I mean, we literally are perfection. And suddenly this team in front of us that, w- that was literally jogging through us, I've gone. They've completely gone. And Ozil centres it, he finds space, pops it in, back heel, goal. And again, the noise in the stadium was immense. And if we could have got the fourth, we'd have, we'd have won that game. Right? We had a couple of Shaka had a shot. We had to cross the Bellerin into the middle of the box. Didn't quite happen. And I'm thinking, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. And um, then we sort of, it was like a firework just went out. And we thought, oh, crikey, we've come back. And we're not quite as good as we think we are. And, then, and they wrestled it back from us. But from a game perspective, I could not see that coming. I wouldn't have given it half a percent. I only give about 1% would even score one, let alone three in five minutes. I mean, it was just incredible to swing. And um, an, an emotional experience that I've not seen much like. And this team, I mean, how do you, how do you analyze it? How do you, how do you do that? How can you be that bad in the first half and produce five minutes of absolute perfection that has given everyone their Christmas memory, right? So, um, it's amazing. That's why we all love it, isn't it? That's why we all go. So, can, can I just jump in on a couple of things in terms of factors for that five minutes? Um, I think it was a five minutes in which two players who were able to play out of the back, uh, unlike most of our players, Maitland Niles and and Wilshire in particular, uh, were highly impactful, pushing us forward, pushing us out of our final third and the middle of the field, pushing us forward. Jack was all over the place intercepting. Um, so his energy levels have really come yeah. up. I thought yeah. it was partic- there's a really interesting photo of Jack giving Sanchez a bollocking yeah. before giving I the ball that. away. I saw that, yeah, definitely and, saw that. Yeah, And Jack and, is almost being held back. Yeah, I think uh, with 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 San Jack, he's got the personality to handle Sanchez, and uh, I know him and I know the rumours that Ramsey and Sanchez don't get on, but it actually affects the team negatively because they don't literally want to pass to each other. But Jack seems to have got respect from Sanchez, and although I don't think Sanchez respects very much about Arsenal players or the club by the way he behaves at times, but Jack gets a bit more out of him, and they do combine. And he's got a personality to say, I'm not having you. And, and, so, and so is Ramsey, to be fair. And it's probably part of the, f- the fractions in our centre midfield. But, um, but yeah, Jack, is a, he is a player, mate. He is not messing about. He says, this is, give me that ball in here. This is mine. I'm going to get this team going. And you lot will dance to my beat. And then Ozil and him almost like in tandem. And I thought that's how we wrestled it, Paul. I thought we, those two got on the ball and started causing real problems and shaking Liverpool's physical and technical confidence. And once we did that, it, there was a gap in quality and, and we had it, but we just couldn't sustain it. Yeah, and I what? think um, when, uh, going back to that thing I always quote of a couple of years ago where Wenger said, Jack needed eight starts. Um, Jack's had about 10 starts. Okay, a couple of them were Europa Leagues and and Carabao Cups, but he's probably just hitting takeoff speed right now. And he can't cover the midfield we the way we need him to, but but he's getting close. So uh, against maybe not against the top teams, maybe not against City and Liverpool, he probably doesn't quite have the legs to cover the midfield. But for maybe a lot of these upcoming games, uh, he might be just the ticket 
Um, he, he's going to gonna have to forward. not be what he was in the first half of this game, if you know what I mean. Um, and maybe that's about finding the right tandem. Well, let me let's get on to Maitland Niles just real quick in more depth. I yeah. mean, Paul, what'd you make of the performance? And I mean, is it time for him to step into midfield? I mean, is is that really what we need from yes. him? You know, because look, yeah. you also have to wonder where where say uh, Kolasinac's uh, career is headed at this point, don't you? No. No, you okay. do. You got, uh, no, well, you've got sorry, that let, let me rephrase that. Yeah, I, I, I think you have to wonder what what the plan is if if Maitland Niles is going to stay at fullback. I mean, the manager seems happy with him there. He does, but there's the Mo Salah effect. There's the fact that he can't drop a young player who's just had a couple of stormers, so he's going to let him have a little bit of run. There's the fact that Kalasnach is definitely out of form, that he had some injury fitness stuff. So maybe you're right, but I think it's a little too early to judge those tea leaves. I suspect Kalasnach will come back in and be... Well, a, he'll, he'll uh, definitely a, play through the, through the festive period. But All right, all right so m- yeah. more importantly, what about Maitland Niles? I mean, he, he looked in over his head maybe initially at, at the start of the game, but he, I thought he actually wound up having a fairly assured performance and, and an influential performance by the end of the game. I thought what was really, really, really important about a, uh, Maitland's Niles in terms of his future was his coolness on the ball, which... I haven't always seen. I've watched everything I can of him, which isn't necessarily that much. I watched the England under twenty World Cup run where he played a couple of games. Of you know, I've watched er- anything that's ever been available on uh, the Arsenal channel or the live games uh, uh, of the the young the younger teams he's played in the under twenty threes, etc. It's still not a lot that you get to see. But he's not always, even at that level, he's not always that cool on the ball as decision-making, those balls across the midfield that we've seen from time to time. I thought he was just excellent in this. Um, He was cool on the ball. He played the right pass each time. Every time he played out from the back, he got it right. And in particular, his weight of pass, it seems like a small thing, but uh, let's get back to one of our favorite players, uh, Coquelin. Uh, where we debate his passing, and you compare and contrast that to Ainsley Maitland-Niles, it's not so much that Coquelin doesn't make his passes, it's that everybody, you and the player on the receiving end of the ball, is nervous as to whether the speed's going to be right, whether it's going to get to him, etc. When you see Maitland-Niles pass, he's picking the right pace all the time. It, it, he's like a golfer uh hitting the perfect put he's he's just getting the pace which means that the guy receiving the ball a starts to relax b gets the ball where he wants to at the time he wants to it's just a different animal than a coquelin who may be you know getting 88 92 percent of his passing done but the people around him are kind of nervy unsure and so the game doesn't flow because it's not coming to them on the right foot with the turn at the pace I thought he stroked that ball around deliciously, moved uh, to receive the ball, helped us play out. And when you start looking at that, you start thinking, what could that be in midfield alongside a Chaka? How might that calm down the midfield? Yeah. Uh, and we, we had a really good WhatsApp chat between all of us, which was basically coming to the conclusion, who could, if that's the Maitland-Niles we had in midfield, and that's a projection, right? We've seen yeah. young players come and go, but... 
if he were to live up to the billing that that he's due from how he played in that game, who could he not partner in midfield and be the balance to? Well, I mean, the, he could balance out Ramsey, Chaka. We've got a Jack. lot of sameness there, right? I mean, Chaka, yeah. Jack. I mean, no matter what you think of these players, well, and everybody tens. has their favorites, right? As you yeah. pointed out, we have this the number thirty. Um, you know, I think the the question is. If they're all very same, Maitland-Niles has the qualities that they don't have. And look, whatever you think of Coughlin, and I would acknowledge he is an elite tackler and an elite defensive action guy, but he does not have elite pace or recovery pace. So I think you still need what Maitland-Niles offers that that Coughlin doesn't, which is that ability to cover huge swaths of the pitch that are often left exposed by the way we want to play. Coughlin's key... Uh, strength in that area is his first two or three steps are electric. Like he will, he's like a a tiger pouncing. So uh, I always feel a bit, bit, it's a little unfair to say he doesn't have recovery speed in that sometimes snuffing it out right at the get go is, is what it's all about. But the, the classic moment where he bounced off Hazard's ass for that goal and got left behind where he didn't quite have the pace one of the things I thought was delicious about Maitland-Niles, and Clive's got to be just chomping to get in on Maitland-Niles as the <laughs> the the other founder member of the Ainsley Mait- Maitland-Niles uh, over-rating over club. Um, I-, I want him to start more just so I can continue to hear you struggle to say his name, mainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Conservative. Um, his balance, he's got so much speed, uh, and he... He uses that in a couple of ways. He spends that dividend in a couple of ways. One of the ways is he has beautiful balance. So you saw that against Salah a couple of times where just because you can keep up with Salah doesn't necessarily do you that much good because he's so clever, so quick. But there's one particular time he runs back and nudges Salah off the ball. It's Salah who gets unbalanced, even though he's controlling the play with the ball. Maitland Niles has beautiful balance that, you know, he... It's not just speed. He's got he's got strength. He's got power. He's got balance. Uh, he's got an assurity about him. I don't know if that's a real world nope. word. And he, nope. his com- <laughs> no, and his comfort on the ball. That's a really good package. But you, uh, Clive, made a great point about him being drawn to the ball as a midfielder, and that was his kind of downfall in the couple of moments in this game. Everything else was great. I mean, Wenger's gamble paid off in the sense that. Everything he wanted him to do one-on-one versus Salah worked when he had his eye on Salah, but there were a couple of times he let that go. Yeah, well, so, so Clive, I mean, obviously I want you to jump in on Maitland-Niles, yep. but I, I think the question becomes now, given that we have Nacho Monreal, given that we have Shad Kolasinac, and, and given that Maitland-Niles oh, tr- is it... Is little it, trouble with that name, did you? Shad Kolasinac, not even remotely. Um, I, I would say... I, you know, look, we, we are staffed effectively enough at left back slash stroke left wing back. Um, and oh. Maitland Niles, at best, is a patchwork solution there because I don't think we think that's his natural position. So is it time for the manager to look and say, I can't keep playing all these number 10s in midfield? And, and this is the solution. Is is Maitland Niles the, the fix for him? I mean, look, we're always looking for a magic bullet to fix what's wrong with Arsenal. Is, is this the one, finally? <laughs> It could be. I mean, if the manager can play Cochrane as sweeper at Man City, then surely he can play Maitland-Niles as a holding midfielder. Surely he's made for the position. And the biggest compliment I can give him is that 
one-on-one in the first 15 minutes versus Salah, there was no contest, right? He killed him. And this is when Salah then moved off of his side and then moved into the middle. And Maitland-Niles was then left with literally no one to mark. And that's when it becomes a problem. That's when you see the lack of experience because now he's looking for a job. What do I do? I've lost a man I, I was detailed to mark. He's gone inside to 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 um, Koscielny. And so now people are appearing in his hole at, at, at random. And he's, and he's going to mark them. He's going to mark them. And they're popping in behind him. And that's not his fault. That's just experience, right? That needs somebody next to him to say, you stand next to me, don't move. Just hold this hole. They're trying to pull you around. And this is where we're lacking. We're lacking that tactical experience and knowledge. And they just popped in behind him and stretched Koscielny out and caused us a problem, right? So it wasn't his fault. He gave the maximum. They targeted him on diagonals. He's not very strong in the air. On crosses, I think as the ball's coming face on and he's just a straight ball, he can head it back. He's tall. He's about six foot. He's built perfectly, right? He's a supreme athlete. And if you watch him when he receives the ball, poor, another thing to look out for, his head doesn't go down on the ball. So he's very straight back as he receives it. And that's quite unerring as if you're somebody going to mark someone, all you try to do is get their head down. When someone's straight back, not looking at the ball and just stroking it, you know, sometimes it looks like he's got time. He looks composed. Well, he's got time because he's spooked the player because he's received it on both feet and he just passes it and he never looks at it. And so you're thinking, well, I'm not going to go in there. It's going to embarrass me. So what does he get? He gets time. I've called him a Bob Marley footballer historically because I think he looked too cool for school. He's too cool. Yeah. And now, yep. now, He's adding the intensity now of the ball. He's seeing things happening. It's not perfect. But I tell you what, you're absolutely right. If you project forward, you put that into centre midfield where if he makes a mistake, it's not a goal. He'll be more relaxed, more assertive. He can be more creative. He could drive more. And I said probably about a year and a half ago, I see him developing into a Victor Wanyama. And I stood by I got laughed at, but I stood by it. Because look at his body. He's only 20. What's he going to be like when he's 23? He is going to naturally fill out. He's going to be an absolute beast in there. And we've got to decide whether we buy somebody for, for one or two years, use him as a right-back cover, which I wouldn't be against, and then comes on to set him in the field while he's inexperienced late in games, like we use Cockland potentially or on any potentially. So one of them has to go from the squad to create a centre midfield berth for him or you signing. And then use him as a right back cover to make sure we don't burn Bellerin out. But eventually that centre midfield holding position should be his if he keeps progressing as he does. And that'd be, you know, to get from Academy Kid to do that for Arsenal Football Club to be a central pillar, that'd be a wonderful story. Sure. Well, so I, um, you, you, can go, I just ahead, quickly yeah. say, the too cool for school thing, I know exactly what you mean. What, what's really bothered me all along, I kind of talked about his mentality and his focus and stuff. I, I think that's all really anxiety with him. I think, you know, that classic thing of acting cool because you're actually freaked out. And what I'm hoping we're seeing now in terms of focus and decision making and being cool on the ball uh, and his body language coming up to snuff is him building in confidence with better players around him, um, which will suit his particular game, that the too cool for school stuff goes away. You, you see him sometimes, like on the Salah goal, not to put too much blame on him, you see him jogging back. Well, I don't know what yeah, you yeah. guys were were like when you were that age. If I had his speed, uh, there's a lot of mistakes on my 
make in the game in terms of mentality or decision making, I would have fucking ripped back there knowing that I could get back into that box. But you see him kind of I think he's absorbing the fact that he just fucked up. And of the three players, Jack, uh, Chaka and Maitland-Niles, he's the one who has the pace and is still in a position to get back there and, and cover and help out. But he jogs back. And I don't, it's not laziness. It's not lack of foot. It, it's, it's just it's experience, a isn't it? Lack of experience. Boy. He wasn't it, quite it, aware. It's a guy who's, who's kind of just choking the back that it, back the fact that he lets Salah go. And it, it's in his head instead of, you, you know, when Alexis loses the ball and immediately chases it instead of Maitland nine saying, Oh fuck. And rushing back. He goes, Oh, uh, no, it wasn't really my fault. Maybe, you know, he's debating it in his head. Has he just fucked up? He need, you know, it's that maturity, that confidence that comes that says, oops, you know, get back in the game. That's what he should have done right then. Fair enough. Uh, I, look, I mean, you mentioned Alexis. I think we should get to him. He, he scores a goal that is, you know, pure Alexis in some ways. He just wants it more. He gets into the position. I mean, we think of him as being a technically gifted player, but for someone who's getting criticized as not trying, I mean... Certainly, there's there's the ability to switch it on and try. I'm not saying he is always giving his full effort, but he does in that situation. He gets the goal. But then he gives away the third with the header that doesn't come off. Now, I have a little sympathy for him because he slips, and there was a lot of slipping on the day, mostly Arsenal players, which is a little weird since we played on our home pitch. But um, then he gets subbed, and this is a player that never used to get subbed. Now he's getting subbed at the end of games when we actually probably really need that special contribution. I know. I know. Sorry, guys. I know. Yeah, yeah. She, she disagrees with my point, as do most people. But so I, I guess the question is, like, why, um, why all of a sudden is Alexis getting subbed at the end of the games? What do you think of the decision to sub him at the end of this game? And just to lay a little more at your plate, Clive, what uh, do you put that, that third goal on him? You know, I mean, I guess the easier way to say it is, what did you make of Alexis's day and then the decision to take him off? Okay, so if he'd have got substituted at half time, I wouldn't have been surprised. That's how he was on the day. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, you couldn't how you disres- say that about Shaka, about Jack, about Awobi, about, you know, I mean, again, no, not, I'm not the, trying to be the defender of Alexis. I'm just saying there's so much scrutiny on him specifically when there are players that are just as switched off or poor right now. Yeah, so you're, you're looking at the, the game. And you're looking at performance. You're you're looking at it, and and I, I would have maybe said the same if I'd have watched it um, at home. I would have said, well, you know what? There's three or four of them. It will be shocking, you know. But this is a guy that's got a little bit of circumstantial stuff around him, right? So the contract situation, which is obvious, right? So so we're now looking at him. The micro the microscope is on him. The microscope is on Shaka. It's on. Bellerin, it's on Iwobi. Those four in particular, they are getting a lot of stick from the crowd. And Alexis is the one that's probably getting the most because his body language is so easy to read. And it, there were times when he was walking, and I mean walking 10 yards deeper than their Liverpool's back defence. And then you, the players would turn out towards him and then he would just he wasn't ready to receive it. He'd just say, he'd just wave them away. But back of his hand, go away, go away. And they have to go turn out the other side. And I'm looking at this thinking, this is shocking. And the crowd is getting up and they're getting on him. And then suddenly he'll spur into action and he'll do something and he'll, he'll pass it, he'll 
good or he'll pass it away. And the crowd will get onto him again. And I mean, it was such a, a Jekyll and Hyde performance, right? So he scores the goal, he sees the opportunity for the goal, he scores it. And when he came off, I don't think he was that bothered. It was all it was all an act. On the headed on that heady trick he tried, I actually, I was working out in my garage today and I was watching the Spurs game and he, he tried that exact move against Davidson Sanchez and that got the foul for the first goal where he's running, he tries to dribble you with his head and come inside. But this time he got red and I think it was Salah actually, I think he just drove, he drove straight into the area, they pop it around and Firmino was left in three yards of space and smashed it in. Do I blame him? I loved him to just run it down the sides because Liverpool weren't that threatening at the time, we were just getting a little bit of stability, but honestly I, I sway from are we better off without him then he scores the first goal to he's damaging the whole club then he does a little move, plays a great pass, I mean I don't know where I am on him because one minute I hate him, the next minute I love him. But what's happening is we need some direction. And he's our superstar player. He's not playing very well. We're all reading the papers. Half of most of the people want him out, but they want a replacement they can love Well, equally, that's the thing. Right? I, I, so, I mean, Clive, just real quick. You know, okay, if you want to sub him off in a game where he's playing poorly, that's one thing. If you want to sub him off late in a game where maybe he's switched back on and decided to try again, it's another thing. But when you're subbing him off and it's a Danny Welbeck coming on or it's, you know, it's someone of that yeah. quality – and caliber of Theo Walcott, with all due respect, like, yeah, yeah I guess the, that's really the problem, isn't it? Love him or hate him, he can still turn up and do something. And right now, especially Welbeck in the form he's in, you just don't, you don't expect anything. There's nothing behind, right? So you're absolutely right. So, you know, when I, when I, it is not just performance. Eric. Please don't get this right. It is what he was doing or not doing. No, I he follow you. It's harder part, to see that on a TV he, screen because you, you don't see the whole pitch, so you don't see the players that are, you know aren't involved in the direct action. Yeah, he, he just was not part of the team. And it's team first for me every single time. It's what you do for the team. Can you feel the game? Can you feel what's required? What are you doing for your teammate? Are you available? Are you working hard? Are you helping your mate out when he's got the ball under pressure? These are things I look for when I judge a player. When we're one nil down, what do you do? Do you go hiding? When we're 2 nil down, what do you do? And all I saw from him was disrespect to the club and shirt. And you've not heard me speak like this before, have you? Not like this. So you've got to trust me when I say this. If that had been 2 nil for five minutes longer, I dread to think what the atmosphere would have been like in that stadium. And who would have got or it Or God forbid, 3 nil, 4 nil, 5 nil, because it was heading that way. I, it, would have, it would have been awful. It would have been awful, as bad as you've ever seen it. Right? So, so, and, and we got away with it. Not only did we get away with it, we went from the lowest to probably one of the highest moments I've ever seen. I mean, and that is just also at the moment. So I'm loath to jump on one side of the fence or the other. I'm just saying it exactly as I saw it and exactly as I felt. I get the safest place to be. Can I just make one quick point about Alexis? Look, I agree there's something not right there, although I think we are reading into things about him now because of his contract situation that we didn't read read into previously, and I'm not convinced we're seeing a different Alexis. I'm just convinced we're evaluating him differently based on circumstantial evidence, as you referenced. And I get part of the reason is because the end product hasn't been there, although he did score a goal in the day, and he has been very influential over the past few games, at least in decisive moments. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that this is where team balance is so important. Of course, a player like him is going to look like a liability when the midfield is a disaster, when the defensive positioning is a mess, when there's no structure. Players like Alexis and Ozil, you know, less so Ozil, who is sort of, as Paul pointed out, really become a leader in the team, they need structure 
as a platform for them to do what they do because they're mercurial, because they're moody, because they can pop up with sensational moments and they can look like they have their feet screwed on backwards at times. And I, I just think, you know, whether it's a Kevin De Bruyne or whether it's an Eden Hazard or whether it's an Alexis Sanchez, you know, or whether it's a... You know, let's say a Paul Pogba. I mean, Pogba's a little different because he can influence the whole game. But I think those kinds of players shine or or struggle on the the strength of the platform behind them to let them do the kinds of things they want to do. And I, I get it. Look, Alexis has not been in the form we know he can be in, but I do think a lot of the evaluation surrounding him is tied up with his contract situation, and understandably so. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wants out. Maybe he's quit. Maybe he's done. That's not what I'm seeing, but I could be wrong. I just don't see a much different Alexis than I see when he plays with Chile or than I saw when he used to play with us, except for maybe a little less end product right now. Now, that's not tied into the question of whether we should sell or should have sold. It's just the question of where he is now. I, I just believe that when... You've got a Shaka Jack midfield that's so dysfunctional and so, was so dysfunctional in the first half. There's nothing Alexis is going to do. And then when he gives the ball away to give to give up the third goal, no one wants to look at the fact that why were we giving so much space in you know at the edge of our area? Why yeah. didn't we close down? Nobody wants to look at that because they have their scapegoat ready and it's Alexis. And you know I'm not sure that you know look he's oh, giveaways that kill us, but I'm not sure that one was so flagrant. So. That's a Can I just jump in quickly? Yeah, please, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great point, right? So, and on that third goal, Koscielny presses out, and he presses out because there's nobody there. There's no midfielder in front of him to go and do the job. So he presses out, Firmino's left, and, and, and they score. And so this is a team that plays football with no safety net. There is nothing in the middle of the pitch. And it, and I've always said this. It's a one-man midfield, and we criticise that one man. And everyone else is trying to find areas of the pitch that they actually want to be in, that they like. They want to be, and it makes them look good. They're not playing for the team. There's no team structure. If we can get a platform, then maybe when Alexis loses it, as a fan group, we'd be a little bit more relaxed. But we know here comes a basketball game. Here comes Kevin Durant bounding down our middle to go and dunk it. That's what it looks like, right? We've got nothing there in the middle. And it, and we had some fantastic midfield performances and highlights, but did we have a midfield? And that's how Arsenal play football. Yeah, and I'm sorry, and I'll let you in on this, Paul, but I, I'm just saying, like, you put a really structured, disciplined, sort of uh, uh, tactically specific midfield in place. You really think Alexis is a liability in that situation? I mean, part of the reason Alexis feels like a liability is because there are so many liabilities right now. Iwobi was a liability. Shaka was a liability. Jack, at least in the first half, from my viewing, was a liability in that he can't run with, you know, to get back and cover the range that Shaka can't run and cover. So, you know, look, I, I know I come across as an Alexis apologist, and part of it is because I think it is crazy to me that this extremely talented player is being viewed as what's wrong with Arsenal when what's wrong with Arsenal is in the same areas it's always been wrong. Um, There was an interesting poll that was put out on Twitter. I I don't remember the account that put it out. And it's a nothing poll, really, but I thought it was interesting because it said, you know, which player would you most want gone in January? And the options were Alexis, Shaka, Theo, and Giroud. And Alexis finished dominantly first, and Giroud finished dominantly last. And I just think it's interesting that this 31-year-old striker who's on the downward swing of his career, who never really hit the heights for us, is the one people most want to stay. And this mercurial superstar who's the best player we've had since, 
you know, Sesk left, arguably, is the one everybody wants gone. And that speaks a lot to how we're grading him right now. Um, but so enough, why do you think that is, Elliot? Why do you think I that know is? Why it is. It's, we've talked about this on the pod. People protecting themselves. They, they, they don't think he wants to be here, so they want him gone. They're, the fault of the club in not selling him in the summer has now become the fault of the player in being ready to leave on a free. I think there are some people that want him gone because they want us to get money for him, and I, I, I fully understand that. But, you know, the way and we hold... he's going anyway. Well, yeah, right. I get that. And I Just totally get yet. that. But, you know, the way we hold some people to our heart, like Giroud, and we say, oh, he's a loyal man. Of course he's a loyal man. He's making a great wage at a big club, and there was no one bigger that wanted him. And so, yeah, he's staying. You mean to tell me if Giroud was banging 35 goals a season for us on hundred grand a week, he wouldn't have been wanting to double his wages and go to Real Madrid? Like, I just circumstance winds up making heroes of some and villains of others in football. So, Paul, I mean, as far as Alexis, and I do want to start to wrap up, and I, I want to thank the listener, by the way, for putting up with the fact that I uh, I am daddy daycare today. There is no daycare for my beautiful daughter, whom I love. My wife is working, uh, and so it has been a, a real challenge to uh, record this podcast, and, and we wanted to put one out uh, because we so adore you as well. But thank you for tolerating uh, that challenge. Look, look Elliot, this mm-hmm. is a family show. It was quite exactly. clearly. That's what this has always been. Quite clearly. I mean, as your uh, reference to the aristocrats joke a couple episodes ago demonstrated. But, okay, Paul, Indeed. jump in on, on Alexis here, where you stand on the debate. And, and also, you know, I mean, look, if you're going to have Alexis in your – this is what drives me nuts. If you're going to have Alexis in there and you're going to tolerate all the things he does and he does some things that will drive you mad, the last 10 minutes he should be on the pitch. Because he's the one guy that in the last 10 minutes, for all of his flaws, can win you the game. And so it seems crazy to me to persist with him through a whole game of all the things that will drive you mad, but then be like, now we're going to bring on this guy who's not going to do anything for the guy who clearly could. Okay. but um, So I was about to agree with you. On that point, though, we were a goal up. So he didn't need to win us the game. He needed no, to not lose no. us the game. When he, took, when he was taken off, we were level at three. Yeah, but there wasn't 10 minutes to go. There was like, that was a minute before the 90 or something. Anyway. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, fair point. Moving right. on. Uh, overall, uh, I mean, I think you're right. I think the issue with Alexis is there's a separation between him and the team. Uh, you've seen Ramsey give him a, a bollocking. You've seen Jack give him a bollocking, and Jack's only just back. I mean, who the hell is he to give anybody a bollocking? But he's Mr. Arsenal, so uh, and he's a damn good player. Let's let's be honest. And I think he he thinks he has a feel for where the squad's at. We've heard of Koscielny, uh kind of uh, two footing him uh, in training, uh, a two footer on Alexis. That was last season. So there's clearly a defa- divide between Alexis and the team. But it doesn't really matter. You have those players, and I think your main point is right. Ha- if we had a more structured defense and a better midfield, everything would be fine. Alexis would be getting what he thinks he needs to be effective for us. And people would stop being pissed off with him because the whole thing would be working better. I, I, the problem is the problem. And it's the same problem, which is certain parts. The midfield in particular just doesn't never quite works for us at against the best teams. Yeah. The I, one thing I would say, no and the point we kind of didn't debate in this game is, um, we were three two up. What should we have done? Should we have? We can't. We 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 kind of worked around the edges of this. Should we have sat back and defended? And I think the reality in this game was our defense and our midfield was just scrambled. I would have sat back it, and defended. I think against Liverpool, their only real way of breaking you down usually is turning you over. Yeah, but I think the issue here, and we saw three mistakes 
uh, leading up to that final goal is, uh, you know, we were scrambled. They were f- scrambled defensively. No, I'm no not question. sure we the had the ability the tide, Paul, to sit happen, in. It happened yeah. so unpredictably and so quickly and so unexpectedly that I think by the time we took a 3-2 lead, it surprised us as yep. much as it did them. And I don't think yeah. there was enough time for us to adjust our, our we didn't react. No. We didn't react. No, we, we didn't. didn't react. We just thought, crikey, this is too good to be true. Let's just carry on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We just didn't react. So. Well, 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 I think it would have been really hard mentally to go into a let's be really solid at the back mentality given the you know, the preceding whatever it was, 80 minutes. It was going to be a hell of a job for either one of those two teams to suddenly become solid at the back. So I kind of understand why we did what we did. Yeah, and, and you know, I think Arsblog uh, made a really good point on Twitter and in his writing about this. There are a lot of people that are going to say this game was a lot of fun but this isn't fun. You know, I mean, that first half wasn't fun. The fact that we had five minutes where we clawed back three goals made it a result. But, like, playing the worst half of football I can remember in recent memory for 45 minutes isn't fun. Um, you know, that We shouldn't be having Liverpool coming to our uh, stadium and dictating the game the way they did and abusing us the way they did for 45 minutes. It's kind of a disgrace. It, it is and a it's disgrace. It's kind yeah. of a disgrace that Arsene Wenger can't put together a midfield that represents the kind of football that he wants to be playing. I mean, it's it's season after season. Uh, I love you, Arsene. For fuck's sake, put together the midfield you want. Spend the money. Get the players. What the fuck are you doing? Give them roles. Right. Give them jobs for. Give them defined roles. Mm-hmm. Don't send out all these similar style players, all left-footed, and expect them to make it work. It's just ridiculous. And then we fans, and I do it, we judge them based on that. When it's not, it's not right. It's not reasonable. It's just not. Fo- it's just not adult coaching and management. Right. So, you you nailed it, Elliot. We go three two up. We need a reaction. What are we trying to achieve now? Are we going to hold it? Are we going to keep playing? Or are we going to sit in? Maybe take Iwobi off and bring Coquelin in and push Ozil higher and make it a transition game. But at least we know what we're all doing, and then we get a, we get a, a common goal. Everyone can see it on the on the sidelines. Everyone can see it on the pitch. We get more aggressive in the tackle. What do we do? We keep bombing forward, overloading, more space, more space, little tricks out of out of our area, getting caught, second phase, more pressure, more momentum. Eventually they get encouraged, eventually they score, and we, we, we drop our lips, walk back to the halfway line. It's rubbish. It's not good enough. It's not good enough no longer. If we want to go to the next level, it's just not good enough to have that many players playing out of position, that many players being asked to do things they can't do to the maximum of their ability. And then we fans expect, I'm, I'm flipping on Alexis now, my love and hate, we expect <laughs> him, <laughs> the, the superstar, the superstar, to accept all of this and just say, you know what, I'll give the best years of my career to this. I mean, let's be honest, would you? No, you know, and, would, you, and, would you do it? And look, I mean, it, you you make this point. Ultimately, you know, those attacking superstars, they're tricky ones. But, like, if you look at this team and he looks like what's wrong with it, and it, this isn't meant to be defensive of him, and I hate to boil it all down to him, like, I just think that misses the big picture. Squad construction's a problem. We've talked about this for years. Tim came up with his great analogy of it's like Arson is trying to build the plane while it's in flight. There's too many... Number 10, as you pointed out, Clive, there's not enough uh, uh, athleticism in midfield. But 
you know, we have we have enough talent that we should be able to eke something out. What I will say is salvaging a point in that game from where it could have been salvages the season because the low that could have been losing that game would have been enough to derail the entire season. And as Scott pointed out in his statistics section of the last pod, probably would have derailed any hope at top four. As it stands now, we have a chance. We got a chance to laugh at United a little bit over their past few results, which have been phenomenal to, to enjoy. So it's not all doom and gloom. We have two tough, tricky fixtures coming up back-to-back now at Palace and at West Brom before we get Chelsea at our place. And, you know, this is where the turnaround has to happen. I'll be very, very curious to see if the manager goes back to the back three or sticks with the back four. And you know what it reminds me of, guys? You remember Alexis Sanchez was playing center forward this time last season. And things were going pretty well. And the manager just kind of stopped. And, and you know, there's been some discussion that Alexis didn't want to play in that position. Who knows? But the point is he stopped. He went back to Giroud for a bit. We went into a lull. January was disgusting. February was despicable. And it wound up with us switching to the back three just to stabilize things, and we know where we went from there. The switch to the back four feels a little similar. The back three wasn't my favorite, but it was kind of working. It was kind of getting the job done, and we've changed it now off what seems like, you know, maybe the Ramsey injury, maybe the performance against United being down, but it seems like it's just a done thing now. So we'll see. We'll see what happens in the next few games, whether it's back three or back four. But if we can right the ship, you know, we still have a lot to play for this season. European competition is still alive top four is still alive um no one's catching city this year so you can you know if, if you can accomplish the rest of your goals you can almost forgive yourself for being cut adrift from city because everybody is but you know the turnaround has to start now and getting a point there salvaged what what i think could have derailed the season look we're out of time as you can tell my daughter is not going to let me uh continue this any longer which is fair <laughs> she deserves the attention i want to thank everybody for putting up with this pause on twitter pausing in my pants thanks pause Woo-hoo. It was a hell of a game. Yes, it was. It was. It was great for the neutral and fuck them. Uh, why did I just say that in front of my toddler? Anyway, uh, <laughs> for, for, pretend you didn't hear that. She didn't. She's she's watching Moana. It's all good. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thanks very much, mate. Dear listener, thank you for putting up with this. I know this was was a a fractured and uh, not ideal podcast for a game that really deserved. Uh, the right attention, but I think that Clive and Paul uh, gave you enough of their insight to compensate for my distracted performance and the occasional uh, guest appearance of Addison. So in any event, uh, I hope you had a wonderful holiday. I hope you continue to have a wonderful festive period. Uh, Hopefully results go our way. We will come back and do a podcast following Palace before West Brom and then one after that. That will be uh, the the least we could do uh, as as a result of what happened today. In any event, uh, we appreciate it, and we will talk to you after uh, Arsenal 10, Palace nil. Child Protective Services will be around in 20 minutes, Elliot. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.